and we'll begin at verse number 31. Romans chapter 8 and um, verse number 31. Praise God. Romans 8 and 31. Thank you, Jesus. Are you blessed this morning? I'm convinced that we're doing better than we understand, that, that we're actually more blessed than any of us have uh, yet to discover or uh, connect with. And um, I am uh, I'm very excited about the things the Lord has prepared for us this morning. I, I really feel like uh, He wants to speak uh, to you uh, today. And um, we're going to focus on some very important things, but also some very practical things. And um, I just want to remind you that, you know, it's, a, it's, it's uh, important that we hear the word, but to be a hearer only and not a doer of the word, the Bible says, really doesn't benefit us and can actually be counterproductive in that we deceive ourselves. And one of the ways we deceive ourselves is we can hear something from God and his word that encourages us and gives us hope in the moment, makes us feel better about ourselves or our situation. But if we don't follow through on what he's saying to us and actually begin uh, to apply it to our lives, then nothing really changes. And so we're going to focus then on some key things this morning that you can do, that I can do, that will make a tremendous difference in our lives. Uh, The world uses the expression, moving the needle. Amen. Sometimes that needle tends to get stuck. Amen. But we're going to make some progress. Uh, I'm going to plant some things in your life this morning, remind you of some things this morning, water some things this morning that will help you make that progress. Amen. All right, Romans chapter 8, let's begin in verse number 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? Verse 34, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at, who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sakes we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, yet in all these things, praise God, amen, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth. Look at me for a minute. That pretty much covers it, doesn't it? Amen. (laughs) Nor height, nor depth, amen, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So he asks us a question to begin this portion of Scripture. He says, what will you say to these things? What will you say to these things? We might think of it more along these lines. How are you going to respond? What are you going to say about it? What are you going to do about it? When we talk about our response, and and that is clearly what this passage of scripture is in encouraging us, uh, you know, and uh, reminding us of our response based upon a lot of things. But one of the key things is based upon how these verses are written, or at least begin in the form of a question. So how are you going to respond? What are you going to say about it? What are you going to do about it? Our response always involves 
both what we say as well as what we do. Now, just to, again, be somewhat simple as we, as we start this morning, never underestimate the power of your response. Never underestimate the power of your response. One of the strategies that the enemy tries to affect against us is to make us think that what we say and what we do doesn't matter. That, that we're really uh, nothing, that we're really nobodies, that there's really not anything that we can do to make a difference. He tries to overwhelm us with circumstances and situations in our lives, and at the same time that he's overwhelming us, he's ultimately trying to make you feel inferior. He's trying to make you feel weak and powerless. He's trying to, and it's, it's kind of back to what Sister Pam was saying a moment ago, you know, what's, you know, what's the bother, you know, uh, what, I'm, what I do and what I say is not going to make any difference anyway. These are strategies and tactics of the enemy. Never underestimate the power of your response. And so when we say response, never underestimate the power of your words and actions in any given situation. Because how you respond to the challenges you face in life is the difference between victory and defeat. How you respond is the difference between victory and defeat. Now, that you, know, you may have agreed with everything I've said up to this point, but that one may be a little strong for you. But again, these are things that the enemy has tried to lie to us about and deceive us concerning when the reality of it is this. Your response, not the devil's uh, uh, efforts against you. Um, The Bible says we have an adversary. He's plotting and planning and strategizing against you and me. But the reality of it is, and I'm going to take my time and explain this to you in greater detail, but the reality of it is, right, um, everything that he, uh, you know, uh, you know, tries to produce and and use against you, it's it's all based upon uh, an effort on his part to get you to respond in a wrong way. What is temptation? Think about it for a moment. What is temptation? It's the enemy trying to get you to do something, amen, that Father God doesn't want you to do. It's him trying to manipulate you to respond to some type of stimulus, to some type of situation, to something somebody said, to something that you're facing in your life around you, something you may be dealing with, right? The enemy is the one who tries to manipulate the circumstances and and things that are going on around us. But he knows that unless he can entice you to respond in, in an incorrect way, he can't do anything uh, you know, against you or, or to defeat you. So never underestimate the power of your response. Never underestimate the power of your words and actions in any given situation because how you respond to the challenges you face in life is the difference between victory and defeat. Now, this message is the Bible's message. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This isn't, you, you know, I, I'm almost closing my eyes and you hear some late night infomercial, you know, where, where, you know, some new age gurus trying to tell you to believe in yourself and these kinds of things. No, 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 please hear me. This, this is all rooted and grounded in the Word of God. This all goes back to God, to the God who created you and to the way that He created you and to the position that He placed you in when it comes to uh, Him and, and your role in what happens here upon this planet, what goes on here on this earth. Amen. Now, there are a lot of folks in the body of Christ who do not want to hear this message 
because they do not want to take accountability and responsibility for their words and actions. They would rather say whatever they want to say and do whatever they want to do and then blame God for the way things turn out. Then blame God if there's some kind of defeat or failure or lack of success in their lives. And the other side of that coin is a lot of people, uh, you know, again, hypocrisy. They blame God when there's defeat but take credit for it in their lives when there's victory. When the reality of it is how you respond to the challenges you face in life is the difference between victory and defeat. How you respond to the chaos around you will determine whether you are part of the answer or part of the problem. Amen. Amen. How you respond will determine whether you're part of the answer or part of the problem, and there is no neutral ground. There is no place of indifference according to the Word of God and the way our Heavenly Father sees it. So never underestimate the power of your response. Never underestimate the power of your words and actions in any given situation. Bringing your words and actions into alignment with God's words and actions creates a defense around you that cannot be penetrated. I'm not pausing because I don't have anything else to say. I'm pausing because I'm just some of this needs to settle in your heart for a moment. Amen. Bringing your words and actions into alignment with God's words and actions creates a defense around you that cannot be penetrated. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but let me just go ahead and jump ahead and we'll, we'll pick up right here again. Okay, Listen to me very carefully. Your enemy is trying to get you to align your words and actions with what's going on around you. He's trying to use the trouble around you to produce trouble inside of you Because remember, Jesus said it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, it's what comes out of him. Let's say it another way. It's not what goes into a man that defeats him, it's what comes out of him. Okay? So what's the answer? The answer is to never align your words and actions with what's going on around you, but to always align your words and actions with what your Heavenly Father has already said and what he's already done. See, we've got words and actions. We've got what you say, what you do, what I say, what I do. And then we've got what Father God has said and what he has done for you. And we're going to get to it here in just a moment, but that's exactly what Romans 8, beginning at verse number 31, the passages that we read this morning, that's exactly what those passages are not only instructing us to do, but they're providing a framework, a model, an example, if you will, for us to follow. Because each of those verses are giving you and me a response. In other words, what we should say, how we should respond. He asked, how are you going to respond? What then shall we say to these things? So he's focusing here on what, in other words, say say what God has said. Focus on what He has done for you already. Now, if you're not convinced of some of the last things that I've said, let me just uh, ask you some questions for thought this morning. First of all, what could the devil accomplish on this planet if no one listened to him? What if no one said what he wanted them to say? And what if no one did what he wanted them to do? 
It wouldn't reduce the murder-homicide rate. It would completely do away with it. There would be zero homicides in the United States of America if every person in this country ignored the devil and did not say or do what he wants them to say or do. What if no one gave the devil place in their lives by shutting him out of their thoughts, words, and actions? What could the devil accomplish in your life and in my life if we stop listening to him? The answer is nothing. The answer is nothing. What if you stop saying what the devil wants you to say and doing what he wants you to do? What if you gave him no place in your life by shutting him completely out of your thoughts, words, and actions? Satan cannot mess up your life without your cooperation. He doesn't have the power or authority to ruin your life without your agreement, without your consent, without you being complicit with Him in the destruction and ruining of your life. When God created the Garden of Eden and He made it beautiful... He made it good, and then when it was all completed, he said it's very good. And Satan wanted to destroy it. He wanted to ruin it. But he did not have the ability, the power, nor did he have the authority, the place, to mess the Garden of Eden up. So what did he do? He figured out who did have the ability, power, authority, place to mess it up, and he tricked them into messing it up for him. And how did that go down? By getting them to look at things the way he looks at them, by getting them to think about things the way he thinks about them, by getting them to say about those things, not what God said about them, but what he wanted them to say about them, and then ultimately by tricking them into doing what he wanted them to do. The actions of one man destroyed the Garden of Eden. The words and actions of one man brought a curse upon this planet and upon every person that would ever live upon it. Thank God for Jesus. Amen. Because we also see in Romans 5 that the obedience of one man One man refusing to say anything. Does this make a little more sense to you now when Jesus says, I don't say a word unless my Father tells me to say it. I don't do a thing unless my Father tells me to do it. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, listen, everything that I do is being directed by what my Father tells me to do. And everything that I say is being directed by what my Father tells me to say. And Satan tried so hard, he used the religious establishment as, as his puppets uh, to, to try and, you know, constantly applying pressure to Jesus 
to get Jesus to do what? To say things and to do things that his father did not tell him to say or do, but things that were influenced by the devil. So again, if you think this is just, you know, some kind of sermon to fill in another day on the calendar in November, my friend, please hear me. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. We see it all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament. This is the strategy that the enemy is trying to use against you. He's trying to manipulate your words and your actions so that he can use your own words against you and your own actions against you to bring misery and pain and destruction in your life and then collateral damage in the lives of those around you. Our mission should be to never say or do anything that fails to consider all that our Father has said and done for us already. Now, I told you to never underestimate the power of your response. We made this point last week. I want to remind you of it again today. Your words and actions have the ability to silence and dominate the devil. You see, not only do they have the power to to bring negative things to pass in your life, your words and actions, when properly and carefully selected and, 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 and monitored and managed by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, your words and actions have the ability to silence and dominate the devil. As I was working on on all this, I I said, Lord, you know, this don't really fit right here. And I really felt in my spirit, he said, well, you need to find where it fits because you need to say it again. So I'm going to say it again. We are a nation inside a nation. For too long we thought the church is dependent upon the United States when the truth is the United States is dependent upon the church. For too long, we have believed the future of the church is dependent upon the future of the world. The truth is the future of the world is dependent upon the church. And again, the Lord speaking to us this morning, it is way past time for the church to figure out where we came from, who we are, why we're here, where we're going, and why we are here. Now, we talk about, and the question that the scriptures ask us, What shall we say to these things? How are you going to respond? We said last week that life is choice-driven. And the devil can control your life only to the extent he can influence your choices. And so we're, again, the Bible says that we should not be ignorant of the devil's devices. He's a schemer. He strategizes. And Satan's strategy is use what is going on around us to influence our thoughts in order to manipulate our words and actions. He cannot make you do anything. He cannot make you do anything. But he knows that if he can influence your thinking, that he can use your thinking then to manipulate your words and actions. Now, we did not mention this last week, but it's very important. There is a powerful link connecting your thoughts to your words and actions. There is a powerful link. There is a powerful link. Matter of fact, if, if, if you could kind of um, picture this for a moment, you've got um, you know, your thoughts here, and then you've got acting on those uh, uh, thoughts you know, by way of speaking and doing here, and then there's a bridge that connects those two if you can picture that bridge written on that bridge is the word emotions the link 
that connects your thoughts to your words and actions is your emotions. Listen to me, please, very carefully. Your thoughts fuel your emotions, and your emotions are powerful contributors to your words and actions. Am I right about this? Okay. When you allow the devil to influence your thoughts, you are by default allowing him to influence your emotions. When you allow the devil to influence your thoughts, you are by default allowing him to influence your emotions. Because whatever influences your thinking is going to fuel, feed, generate, awaken, arouse various emotions within you. So thoughts then are fuel to your emotional engine. And you cannot manage your emotions if you never learn to manage your thinking. Thank you for that one amen. See again, there's a lot of folks in the body of Christ who do not want to hear this message. Because they would rather talk about their emotions in light of their family history. They would rather talk about their emotions in in light of, you know, because their granddaddy was Irish. Or they'd rather talk about, you you understand what I'm saying? We, we, We would rather blame our emotions on everything and everybody else. Think about that for a moment. Think about that for a moment. By blaming your emotions on what's going on around you. You're simply, you're make, it's, it's making the very point that, that the Bible makes. It's making the very point that, that, you know, what's going on around you affecting the way you think, generating, influencing very powerful emotions inside of you. Thoughts are fuel to your emotional engine. Think about that for a minute. Thoughts are fuel to your emotional engine. You can sit there, you know, all along, awake at night, can't sleep, and you can sit there and think about everybody who's wronged you, everybody who's mistreated you, everybody who's marginalized you, everybody who's abused you, everybody who didn't recognize your worth and your value. And, and, and as you do that, right, it's the same emotions that were in the heart of Cain when he murdered his brother Abel. It's a combination of anger and, and depression, are you, are you seeing this? And we sit there and we wonder why we feel this way. We wonder why we can't get beyond these things. We wonder why these things are such a, a, a negative uh, uh, you know, factor in, in, in our lives and the, and the dominant negative emotions just make it so hard for us to get out of bed, make it so hard for us to have meaningful relationships, make it so hard for us to do what we're called to do and put on this earth to do. And we have no idea that our own thinking... It's what's fueling those things. It's the truth, my brother and my sister. We could set our minds this morning on puppies and, 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 and happy things and, and flower-filled meadows. Amen. Or my beautiful grandson tucking his head into my neck while I prayed in the Holy Ghost over him like I used to do when he was just a newborn. Make us smile, make us happy, make us feel good about the world. Or you can focus on all the injustice, all the fraud. You can focus on, on, on wicked people in, in high places being manipulated by the enemy to bring harm and destruction. The uncertainty of the future and the economy. COVID. You, you can sit there and think on those things and notice 
your emotions are going to follow those thoughts right down into the basement of your life. Thoughts are fuel to your emotional engine. You cannot manage your emotions if you never learn to manage your thinking. Wrong thoughts produce negative emotions, and the more emotional we are, the more vulnerable we are to wrong words and actions. Am I right about this? And the reality of it is, it's, it's true on both sides. Rarely do we make the right decision when we are hyper-emotional. Salesmen know this. They'll get you so excited about that new car. Nah, you don't, you don't need that one. Let's, let's go this one. I mean, it's just four more years payment. You look good in that, right? You know, now all of a sudden, you know, you, you, you picture in yourself cruising up at work and you're in your new ride and everybody like, did they get a raise? You know, look at that, right? Amen. Have you ever said or done something in the heat of the moment you later wished you had not said or done? I'm not going to do it. It costs too much money, right? But just drop the mic on that one. Praise God. We all have. We've all said things, positive and negative. When I say positive, you know, get, get caught up in the moment, get all excited. I've seen it happen in churches, man. Folks start tugging at your emotional heartstrings, showing you pictures of hungry children and people living in squalor, and then all of a sudden, they, just at the right moment, you know, they hand you a pledge card, want you to pledge $100 a month. <laughs> yes, yes. And you, go, you say, well, shouldn't we give, Pastor Mark? Yeah, except for the Bible says don't give when you're emotionally compelled to do so. See, there's one thing to give by faith. There's another thing to give out of pity. See, it's one, it's one thing to give because the Lord's instructed you to do it, and, and this is a faith decision, and you're in, a, you're in agreement with, with your uh, spouse or or, or with the Holy Spirit, and, and so now we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do this by faith, not, not because um, you know, our emotions are, are being manipulated. Amen. That's why we don't do that around here. That's why we don't do that around here. You know, get in this pulpit and talk about how we need this camera, and we need this light, and we need this software, and we need this, and... You know, if we don't do this, people are going to die and go to hell if you don't help us, you know. And it's like, you know, you know, Michael, go get the offering bag now, you know. It's, again, it's, I'm kidding. Don't go get it. You know I'm kidding. Amen. It's not, it's not how the kingdom works. It's not how the kingdom works. I have so many favorite Keith Moore uh, quotes. And, and this is another one of my favorites. Are you ready? You might want to write this down. Faith does not put pressure on people, right? Faith does not put pressure on other people. In other words, I didn't say the quote right, but what's the point? The point's more important than exact words, okay? If, if I'm believing God for something in my life, then I'm not going to be putting pressure on you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? To make that come to pass. Are you, are you, are you following this, right? So we can agree that we've all said things and done things in the heat of an emotional moment that we later wished we had not said or done. And if you can understand that, then 
you can certainly understand why the enemy, once again, is trying to influence your thoughts in order to manipulate your words and actions. Because he knows that by influencing your thought, it's not just, listen to me please, it's, it's, it's not just that we think and just, do, you know, that quick. I mean, there are situations in our lives, okay, but, but it's, it's that ruminating on things, you know, wallowing in, in anger and, and offense and, 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 and past hurts and, and even where we've done things that we shouldn't have done and now we're sh- shaming ourselves and condemning ourselves, right? All of this, all of this creates emotions in our lives that make us so vulnerable to the enemy, right? This is why a lot of people repeat the same mistakes over and over again, the things that they're ashamed of, the things that they're embarrassed about, but they can't change the channel, or they won't, thank you, Holy Spirit, they won't change the channel. They keep thinking about those things. They keep, you know, kicking themselves over those things, which is generating, fueling, their thoughts are fueling this, this emotion in, inside of them that, that, you know, is linking them right back to the saying the same things and doing the same things over and over again. I mentioned the word offense a moment ago, where someone offends you. And the word in the Bible, offense, is the Greek word scandalon. It's spelled with a K, but just like it sounds. S-K-A-N-D-A-L-O-N. Scandalon. And this word scandalon does not mean what you think it means. Scandalon means the stick that sets the trap. Or we might say the lever. Think of a mouse trap, and you put the cheese on the trap, right? And the lever that snaps that trap closed, right? That's the, that's the offense. And that right there, again, just makes this point for us. The enemy is wanting to bring people into your life to do offensive things to you because he's trying to entice you to respond in a negative way to them. Any, anybody in here been offended lately, right? Or had, thank you, Holy Spirit. Anybody in here had an opportunity to be offended lately? Think about it, man. The, a person in the car next to you can look at you the wrong way and you can be offended. And they don't, they don't even know you're beside them, right? You know, somebody can, 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 can cut you off in traffic. And next thing you know, we're ready to pull a gun out from under the seat. And, 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 we, and, and like we've never cut anybody off in traffic ourselves. Are you hearing me? Are you, are you listening to what I'm saying? And, I, and I'm trying to show you that, that, that over-the-top, uh, you know, um, you know your, your spouse can, can just not answer one of your questions the way you want them to answer it. And next thing you know, you've divorced her in your mind. You wonder why you ever married him in the first place. He knows that I don't like McDonald's. And he brought it home anyway. I mean, it was something so silly, so insignificant. And yet, again, we, these thoughts, right, they, they, they go. And then the emotions kick in. And, and now we're saying things inwardly to ourselves. How are you going to respond? You've been offended. You've been slighted. And the enemy has set a trap for you. He has set a trap for you. How are you going to respond? What will you say to these things? Amen. Amen. 
All right, let's go back to verse 31. I'll put it up on the screen. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What then shall we say to these things? I like the way the Holy Spirit worded this. In other words, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't say, um, what shall we say about this persecution from the religious establishment? Okay? Because the Apostle Paul certainly had dealt with persecution from the religious establishment, had he not? What shall we say about the Roman Empire? What shall we say about, in other words, all these, all these specific individual things that the Apostle Paul was dealing with in his life, and I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit doesn't go very specific, very pointed, uh, you know, in many different places throughout the Bible, but here the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul deliberately, intentionally kept this not narrow but broad. Meaning what? Meaning there are all kinds of things. What things may mean to you this morning may mean something entirely different to a person sitting next to you or across this auditorium from you. What shall we say to these things? These things could be financial issues. These things could be legal issues. These things could be relationship issues. These things could be some family problem. These, these things, right? Are you following what I'm saying? Here is what we know. There is a right way and a wrong way to respond to everything, to anything. So whatever the thing may be for you today, what are you going to say about that thing? How are you going to respond to a pain in your uh, ankle? Or if your ankle's hurt, and I don't know it, I'm just, amen, praise God. What are you going to say? How, how are you going to respond to these things? These things could be physical. These things could be spiritual. These things could be mental. These things could be emotional. These things could be financial. These things could be relational. These things could have something to do with your job. It could have something to do with your education. It could have something to do with your family. Something to do with your future. You understand what I'm saying? But still, what, whatever it is, what are you going to say about it? How are you going to respond to it? And then we see very strategically... If you let the Holy Spirit show you, and again, there's all kinds of things that, that could have been said here, but I believe were intentionally left out. And if you spend some time meditating on this, the first thing we see, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In other words, Satan was applying pressure to the Apostle Paul, just like he tries to apply pressure to you and me by using other people other circumstances and situations in his life. In other words, the Apostle Paul knew what it was to have a whole bunch of people against him. A whole bunch of people who thought it their mission in life to see him executed. A whole lot of people who hunted him down. A whole lot of people who, who would lie if necessary under oath to see him eliminated. So what are we going to say about this, Paul? He could have chosen to say a bunch of things, but he chose to say, if God be for me, who can be against me? Do you, do you see here? Do you, are you picking up this, right? That, that's what he chose to say. 
See, the devil wants you to focus on everything and everybody that's against you. He wants you to focus on everything that seems to be blocking your way. The devil wants you to focus on everybody who didn't give you a break that should have. He wants you to focus on every person that passed you over and, and it was your promotion, but they gave it to their cousin. It, it, was, it was your this and that. And, and, and he wants you to focus on those things because again, what are those thoughts going to do to your emotions and how are those emotions going to make you vulnerable to the wrong words and actions? And so the Apostle Paul is saying, you know what? I am not going to fall for this trap. I am not going to do what the devil wants me to do. I'm not going to sit around here and think about the, the, the power of the Roman government or the, or the power of the religious establishment. And, and these were the, you know, when you take, uh, uh, you know, religious establishment uh, empowered by the Roman Empire. That's a, that's a, in in Paul's day. That's a, about a formidable force as as physically existed. Are you understand what I'm saying? You you take uh, religiously uh, bound and 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 uh, blinded uh, Jews because in in this day and age the Roman Empire was trying to cater to them to keep the peace. This is this Jesus got caught up in that, did he not? In other words, you know, everybody says you don't want the IRS against you or you don't want this and this all stuff against you. Let me tell you, that, that was nothing compared to the combination of the Jewish religious establishment backed by the Roman Empire. I mean, remember, there was still, there was still a recognized king. There was still a Herod. There was still a high priest sanctioned by the, the Roman governors and all the way up to Caesar. And that governor could have his position removed if he didn't keep rest where these things were concerned. I'm just trying to show you that, you know, naturally speaking, these are not folks you want to have against you. They weren't really interested in fairness. Again, if you don't believe me, look at Jesus. What they did to him. So what did Paul say about that? <laughs> How did he respond to that? If God be for me, who can be against me? If God be for me, it doesn't matter if the most powerful government that's ever existed up into that day is against me. It doesn't matter if the religious establishment backed by that powerful government is against me. If God be for me, who can be against me? Let me tell you, let me tell you when a new day dawns in your life. It's when you realize this for yourself. That there's nothing anybody can do to you. Are you what I'm saying? You say, well, they they mistreated me. Keep it out of your Keep it out of your mind. Keep it out of your mouth. Keep it out of, out of your, your actions. Amen. And, and again, I've got to go back to it. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I'm going to find it. It's way up here, but I'm going back to it. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Y'all know where I'm going, right? Bringing your words and actions into alignment with, what God's words and, with, word, with God's words and actions creates a defense around you that cannot be penetrated. Amen. So 
So Paul could have whined and complained and moaned and groaned. It's not fair. All I've ever tried to do is help anybody. I this, I was that, you know, I, you know. Or how about you, can you imagine the devil on his shoulder telling him, you brought this on yourself, Paul. Remember what you wrote to the Galatians? <laughs> Be not deceived, God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he'll also reap. You thought you were the big shot having those Christians put in prison. Now look at you, you reaping what you sow, blah, 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 right? I think this is where Paul later said that he was an apostle and that he had wronged no man. (laughs) You say, wait a second, I bet Stephen would beg to differ. No, Stephen wouldn't beg to differ because the man who wronged Stephen died with Christ. Are you following me? And that man was buried in an unmarked grave and a new Paul was raised up together with Christ to newness of life. That's why he changed his name from Saul to Paul. Saul might have wronged some people, but Paul, I've wronged no man. How are you going to respond? What are you going to say to the things, to the situations, to the circumstances that are against you? Let me tell you what your enemy is banking on. He's banking on you losing sight of, you forgetting about, you failing to take into consideration what God has already said about your situation. So that's the beautiful thing about it. We don't have to come up with something to say, Father God's already spoken. He's already ruled in your favor. If you need something to say in response to, to a desperate financial situation, guess what? There's something in here for you to say. As a matter of fact, there's not just something in here for you to say. There's something the Bible says that has already been done for you concerning that desperate financial situation. He became poor so that you could become rich. Wow. Wow. Okay. I asked the group on Wednesday a few weeks ago a question the Lord asked me. He asked me in my kitchen early one morning before daylight. He snuck up on me. He said, how much money you got to have before you're going to believe you're rich? I don't know, Lord. I mean, I, you know, I, it's like it's kind of early. You know, I mean, it's like what? You know, it clears the bell in my spirit. And I said, well, I guess that just, dep- I thought I was being really smart, you know what I'm saying? I said, well, I, you know, I, it depends, Father. I mean, there are folks in the world, if they had $100, they believe they're rich, and there's people in this country that have a million dollars and don't think they are. And then he just, he, I mean, he set me up, but he did it in a good way to teach me something, right? He said, believing you're rich has nothing to do with how much money you have or don't have. has nothing to do with it. Any more than believing you're righteous has anything to do with how good or bad you've been this week. 